welcome to The Watchmen, the podcast where today we are going to talk about Halloween, and not the holiday itself necessarily, but I think we will confine it as much as possible to the four films that, as of this timeline, this chronology, make up the arc of the Halloween quote-unquote saga, which is 1978, Halloween, the original John Carpenter classic, Um, then we have 40 years later, Halloween 2018, which is the legacy sequel that reinvigorates, re-brings Michael Myers out of hiding and Laurie Strode and so on. It continues with 2021's Halloween Kills, and then this year, this weekend's uh, finale, Halloween Ends, which is in theaters and on Peacock, and you have two people on the podcast, Deepak Chitna is here, and I'm with Riley Trahan, and one of us saw it on Peacock, one of us saw it in theaters, and you get zero guesses as to who did which one. I uh yeah it's it's funny right the way that this David Gordon Green trilogy has like inserted itself into the Halloween like mythos right because there's mm-hmm. a lot of like even you know there there are jokes in the script there's like choreography and action that the actor there's a lot of like call outs to different parts of the Halloween oeuvre because obviously there's like so many movies right and as you say this right. you know we've we've finally squeezed it down with this David Gordon Green trilogy to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween kills and Halloween ends. But like even in the even 2018 Halloween, right? There's like that throwaway joke about thinking that Michael Myers is Laurie Strode's brother, which is a Halloween 2 reference. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh in the fight scenes, there's a lot of like match choreography to other Halloween movies. You know, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are clearly like fans and students of John Carpenter and I think you know, I've, I've been really interested to see how these three movies kind of fit into the, like, legacy of Halloween, not just as legacy sequels, but as, you know, clearly passion projects that are made to, like, revere this 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 franchise. I'm, inter- I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, and revere is an interesting way. Maybe we can just start there as far as um, kind of just do the the boring stuff first. What are What is our individual experience with the franchise? And uh, how did we come at Halloween ends as a purported conclusion, like as far as our feelings on the David Gordon Green trilogy up to this point, um, Jamie Lee Curtis, as mm-hmm. Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, all the commonalities, the threads throughout these movies. What's our experience with the franchise and how did hey. we come to ends? Deepak, I'm just letting you know, this might just be an internet thing, but you're a little staticky. So yeah, I just I didn't know if it was gain. a wire or I think something. it's my gain. Okay, just go ahead and turn it down. It's fine. No worries. I just didn't know if it was a. Uh, sometimes my wires get a little. No, no, no that's it's fine. Not you. Um, so I'll I'll go ahead and kick off. Um, you know I'm 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 our resident carpenter boy, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but I didn't even come into Halloween, you know, or or even David Carp, David Carpenter, mm-hmm. John Carpenter for a for a while. Um, yeah, he horror. I was actually thinking about this as I did my my watch three Halloween movies and walk your dog around the block challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I was not a horror movie guy for a long, long time. And I think that Halloween was actually my like bridge into horror movies. I was, you know, I kind of started with that. I was like, Oh, this isn't that bad. And I, I did some 70 slasher stuff and then kind of moved my way up from there. But I, I mean, I do not think it is just a byproduct of the fact that it was the first one I saw. I really do think that Halloween is a perfect the the 1978 John Carpenter Halloween is a perfect movie mm-hmm. and I at the very least a perfect horror movie 
Um, and I think it is a combination of, you know, John Carpenter, the, the Prince of Darkness, um, you know, his his inclinations towards film and, and the stuff that he just gets that nobody else really gets. And we can talk about Carpenter if we want to, but I'm not going to force this to be a Carpenter podcast. Um, but that movie just really, really hooked me and got me like interested to see basically like, could I find anybody else who could do this as well as John Carpenter does it? And I don't think that I have found anybody who can, but I have been really impressed by this. And, and I'm going to keep calling out McBride and we can talk about McBride if we want. But this Danny McBride, uh, David Gordon Green trilogy, mm-hmm. I think, has gotten at some of, you know, I don't think it's it's nailed it because I think that there is just some lightning in the bottle about a lot, you know, Halloween, uh, The Thing and The Fog, I think, are kind of just three you know, kind of miracle movies that you might not be able to reproduce even if you had all the resources in the mm-hmm. world. But but this trilogy gets really close and really gets at a lot of the stuff that I think makes Halloween so good. Um, so I was excited, right, when there was, like, going to be a, a remake and then subsequently a, a trilogy of modern movies that seemed like they were, you know, indebted to the idea of the John Carpenter franchise, right, and mm-hmm. wanting to, like send up, you know, those movies and like honor really the original film and kind of extrapolate off of that as opposed to this is kind of what I think the the metaphor of the movie is, right? Like just cash grabbing onto a franchise that you won't let die. You know, these guys I think were given the assignment to not let this franchise die and they said, "Well, that's fine, but we're going to make it, you know, honor honor that and not just be a cash grab." And I you know, uh, maybe putting the cart before the horse. I've liked it. I I don't think I dislike any of these modern movies. I think that they all have like interesting things to say, and I think they all come at the idea in an interesting way. So, yeah, you know, I, I guess I came into Carpenter late. He's quickly become. I, I guess it was last year. Was it? The, I was doing my Carpenter watch, mm-hmm. and you and I were texting yep. about it all the time. Um, and yeah, I just really love him as a filmmaker and his style. And I think that these movies do right by him. I guess this is the short version. Yeah, I'm similar to you. Not much of a horror guy. I came to Halloween probably in college, and it was mainly because of, like you say, you heard a name like John Carpenter. You're like, oh, okay, I should probably watch one of his movies, and I saw The Thing, and I saw Halloween. And I think The Thing is better, but I think Halloween is more superficially entertaining. Like you say, it's kind of like a, a tight, well-made slasher. It's hard to get much better than it. Um, and it's the, it's the, like, ur-slasher, right? I mean, most of... The slasher movies we think of are 80s products, and Halloween in 78, kind of like at the time when serial killers as an idea is like haunting the nation, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that that original Halloween really taps into that original Halloween. I'm going to refer to the night from now on, if I say Halloween, I'm referring to the 1978 movie, and if I say 2018, I'm referring to 2018's Halloween. Um... I think that Halloween really locks in on the fear of serial killers, right? That was like plaguing serial killers the in like Middle America and in, yeah, in yeah, yeah. Ham- little yeah. hamlets that you would never think of it. They could be anybody, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And that's and that I think was scary. And that's the thing that I think that the David Gordon Green movies get right is uh, yeah. Maggie and I were watching last night the Office Halloween episode where. Um, with uh, Spader mm-hmm. and and what's his name? Something California. What's his first name? Oh, uh, Robert California. Robert California. He has a he has a, like a monologue at the end of that episode where he talks about 
in his creepy Ultron voice, like, it's so, so interesting that we hold up Halloween as a day to celebrate fear. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, th- I think that that's what like these, I think that's what Halloween does well. And I think that's what the David Gordon Green, Danny McBride movies do really well is lock into this idea of like, what scares us and why can't we look away well, from that's, it? Yeah. That's what I wanted to get into here because it was confusing to me coming into, you see 2018, which I saw in theaters. I was excited for it. And it is kind of the Force Awakens route of we're just going to bring mm-hmm, the old timers mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. and do the thing again. And it's fine. That worked. It's superficially. It's very entertaining. Um, but then we get to Kills last year. And Kills takes a hard detour. Yeah. And I, I dug it. Um, because it really starts to get into this thing of what is the nature of evil? Where does it come from? What can we really do against it? Do we have the capacity to defeat it? And it gets weirdly kind of spiritual and it treats Michael Myers as like this unstoppable metaphysical force the way that like the new Godzilla yeah, well, and Kong movies treat them as like, um, you know, metaphors for instead of nuclear testing, they're natural disasters that can't be controlled, right? So then coming mm-hmm. into ends, it's like, I don't know where they're going to go with this. I don't know if they're going to go, okay, kills, we kind of lost some people, let's go back the more traditional route. And I like that they stuck to their guns because now I can look at these three plus in relation to the original, as them essentially trying to do this three-part analysis of the nature of evil and where it comes from. So you have, like, the first Halloween as your typical slasher. You have Kills as this movie that essentially says evil is an innate force that can't be stopped. And then it looks like you have Halloween End saying... I, I kept thinking of Joker throughout the movie, that it's like society creates evil with this lack of compassion or understanding and when society goes awry you know it, it, it's kind of almost Stephen Kingy in that way too of like every 27 years Derry goes to shit yeah there's some yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff happening here but I dig it and it's like what you say they they don't get to what made the original so magical but they dance around it in interesting ways yeah so there's an interview that David Gordon Green gave to Polygon about a year ago mm-hmm. where he talks about how originally they were kind of on the hook to do two movies and expanded into a trilogy. And that gave them the space to have the first movie be kind of more just a reintroduction into the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've, I've talked to you off mic before about how my understanding was that originally it was supposed to all take place on one night, but then, yeah, you know, COVID filming struggles and things like that forced it into, you know, forced the third part to take place years and years mm-hmm. later. But, yeah, I, th- I think that these movies, and, and we'll get into the details of this, but I think that these movies are very interested in the nature of evil, right? And 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 they're not, they're pretty unbiased in that assessment, right? Like, like you say, in Halloween Kills is just as happy to hang the citizens of Haddonfield mm-hmm. out to dry as they are. Uh, to point the finger at Michael Myers, right? Like anybody is capable, and this is sort of what ends ends up being like, and I assume we'll get very deep into this, but like anyone is capable of becoming the shape, mm-hmm. right? Like it's the shape is not Michael Myers. The shape is something ethereal or something that you can't put your hands on. Right. And and it can infect any of us at any time. It just, you know, I don't, I don't know if... Actually, let me, let me ask you a question and let me take the rest of what I want to say from here. But speaking on Halloween, mm. why do you think Michael Myers kills his sister? 
so in the original, he's a little boy. She's getting ready in front of the mirror. Uh huh. I remember. It's I, that one. Or do you remember? It's, it's the that one from his point of right. view where he walks up to the house. He looks in the window. He sees his sister and the boyfriend go upstairs. We assume that this seventeen-year-old is just a sexual dynamo who brings, who brings, um, his sister to climax very quickly because he's he's out the house within three minutes and surely in nineteen seventy-eight a teenager wasn't neglecting the needs of his partner. Um, but so then he walks out. Uh, Myers goes upstairs. He sees her topless in front of the mirror. She turns around and says, "Michael," kind of puts her hands up to defend herself, and he stabs her. Stabs her repeatedly. Yeah. Um, I remember reading it like, you know, 10, 15 years ago before I think the new ones, or maybe when the Rob Zombie ones were coming out, they were revisiting the original Mm. and it was the whole thing about how he, um, is growing up in like a sexually repressed family. So when he sees the sister lashing out or Mm -hmm. acting out that way, he decides that, uh, she can no longer live or something like that. But I I think that explanation is moot, um, the more that it goes on and he kind of turns from Terminator to there's an instance in the 2018 movie where he very clearly has the opportunity to kill a baby in a crib and he doesn't. And right. in the theater, I remember thinking like, Oh, please don't fucking show this. And of course they, they, they don't. So there is still some kind of a because mind there because they're cowards compared to mother. Right. There, <laughs> but there is some kind of mind there. There's something at work. I thought it was interesting when they tried to make him larger than life and then ends had, this interesting problem of having to grapple with how uh, ethereal, like you said, Michael Myers and evil can be, but then you have to give a final resolution to the person himself. So Mm -hmm. they kind of turn him into Palpatine and this other guy is his Darth Vader who does his. Yeah. Right. But then there is the nature again of this thing being kind of transferred or taught or, um, you know, these, these circumstances jumping. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with yeah. the mother again, who's constantly yelling at him and all that. So even well, that's, though okay, he killed so here, the body, it's still out there. It may not, it well, may not be good. It may not affect Haddonfield anymore, but that essence is out right. there. And this is what I wanted to get at, but I wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. Guys, I agree with mm-hmm. you that I think there is a, a very clear sexual aspect to, Michael's original sin, right, of of killing his sister. And, you know, obviously we know that that has been a thing that exists in terms of, like, serial killer MOs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just, we, we can look to popular news, we can look to kind of the, like, true crime obsession, right? This Dahmer thing just came out, right? Yeah. We can watch Mindhunter, right? There is, there is vast coverage around the idea that serial killers, you know, part of it that we don't understand, that confuses us, that scares us, is sexual, right? Um, but the reason that I bring it up, right, which it is kind of a, you know, maybe an oogie or uncomfortable thing to bring up, but the reason that I bring it up is that I think this new trilogy really, like, flirts with, but doesn't entirely close the deal on the idea, uh, flirts with is an unintentional pun, I apologize, mm-hmm. but uh, with the idea of Michael Myers' incel, right? Well, I think the new one especially. Again, it goes yeah. to that whole Joker thing of the the poor white boy who has been cast off by society. And I think yes. they do an interesting thing of, yeah, he probably, I think it was an accident, whatever happened. Um, oh, in the opening. Yeah. And the idea that the yeah. father drove alongside. We'll get into, we got, we're going to talk all about the plot. So we promise if this sounds vague, okay. I mean, so, us, yeah. so uh, yeah, no, just you, to wrap up then, I guess at the high level thematic nature of the movie, um, 
Yeah, the incel thing is definitely part of it. I don't know if it extrapolates necessarily to Michael, especially in the original. Um, but I, yeah, I can. No, they're, yeah. they're clearly drawing a line there, and they're not subtle about it. I think these new movies, right? Like each of the three new ones, mm-hmm. right? I think kind of present you with a different perspective on, like, uh, what do I want to say? I the word that I wanted to use is not what is what not makes act- these kinds of people what they are. Yeah, just like madness, yeah. right? And like and like the drive towards destruction, right? Because like the first one is kind of just, again, a stone cold serial killer movie, right? The second one, if anyone hasn't seen it, if you haven't seen any of the modern Halloweens and you just like to listen to us talk, first of all, we appreciate that. <laughs> Secondly, go watch the movies. Third, Halloween Kills, you know, the big kind of set piece of it is that the citizens of Haddonfield sort of as a collective in a mob mentality way, decide that evil dies tonight, right? That's the thing they keep saying. Mm-hmm. To the point that they scare a man who is not Michael Myers into killing himself because otherwise this lynch mob is going to get mm-hmm. him, right? Yep. And then, yeah, I think the third movie, you know, kind of takes the opposite approach and instead of looking at, like, a mob mentality, looks at what happens to a person who is... Uh, you know, put on the outskirts of society, who's rejected, who's made into a uh, a leper, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's Lori, who has been, you know, kind of thrown out of Haddonfield and her whole family, right? Who've been thrown out of Haddonfield society because of the, you know, taboo of the Michael Myers situation. Or this new young man, Cody is his name? Corey. Corey? Corey. Corey. Um, who, yeah, has, suffers this tragic accident in the opening of the movie where this kid locks him in the attic and he breaks the door open and without knowing that the kid's on the other side of the door and the door knocks the kid over the banister and he dies. Right. But either way you get these folks who are outcasts and it kind of drives them to madness. Right. And it's, it's, I think, I think all these movies speak in different ways to ways in which we can, find excuses to throw off like our our moral norms in exchange for what we view as like justice or vindication mm-hmm. or whatever does does that make any no, sense that, that makes a lot of sense and i think you articulated it better than i have been taking it more at face value just saying they're trying to examine evil they're trying to use michael mm-hmm. Myers as the, mm-hmm. the metaphor for this this thing in life that we we know is out there and we try to protect ourselves from it as best we can but sometimes we can't and I was watching Halloween Kills just in the evening, kind of off and on, because I wanted to refresh myself in case I missed anything. And um, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're going around in the car when the mob decides that he dies tonight. And uh, they've got uh, everyone screaming at the cars, like, uh, at people who are on the street, go inside your house. You're safer inside your house. It's not safe to be out right now. Because they want the right. streets cleared for Michael Myers, not realizing that people literally only die inside their houses. So, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, I, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of interesting stuff in the fact that two people can come at it from two different, like, relationships with the movies and seeing them all in three days versus seeing them as they came out and come up mm-hmm. with two different readings of it, I think, is a testament to how well made the movies are. And they don't get enough credit for it, I think. No, I agree. These ones are, I mean, they are, I would say they are all of varying quality, and I don't think any of them are as perfect as the original. No. But this trilogy is really good. Yeah. And like, I'm excited, you know, Danny McBride as a writer, I would love to see him get to do more like interesting stuff. I think he's 
good in his like normal comedy lane, but like this makes me excited to see what else he can do. Mm-hmm. And you know, kind of similar, you know, David Gordon Green is his director, right? Those guys work together, and and you know, I feel like they have acquitted themselves well, and I want to see what's next for those guys. But um, one of the things that I was thinking about, and let me get your vibe on this, is like when you make a horror movie, right? You're in dialogue with the time that you live in, right? There's the things that scare people in the moment are going to be the things you want to glom onto right. uh, when you're making your film, right? right? And this is, this is why we can go back and watch, you know, for me, it's The Exorcist. My mom forbade us from watching The Exorcist for a long, long time because she remembered watching it when she was a kid and it scared the pants off her, right? Mm. And when I finally watched The Exorcist, I was like, that's it? You know, like, it's not just a matter of technology. It's a matter of, like, societal inclination, right? Like, what scares us as a people right now? Mm-hmm. And I guess what I wanted to get your thoughts on is we'll, we'll take the we'll take 2018 kind of out of the conversation um, because I, I do think that you're right that it's the force awakens of the three right where it's like just reintroducing the idea um, you know you brought up in kills that scene where they're going down the street saying go in your house it's not safe which has big COVID energy for me right and I guess yeah. it came out in 2021 so that might be just yeah, a coincidence a year before uh, this one so yeah um, and then 2022, like I said, it Halloween ends feels like it is engaging with this idea of like these young, mostly white men who have become radicalized by this like online culture of, of maliciousness, right. That has, that has kind of worked its way in, in, in the whole like quote unquote incel culture, right. Like that's, that's what I feel like these two modern ones are talking to, but I, I mean, it might, it might, I, I'm, I'm more likely to ascribe political motivation to something than you are. So tell me if I'm off the reservation yet. No, I thought that was, I mean, again, the, these movies are not subtle. I thought it was obvious that they were trying to not just make it about COVID, but sort of the Trumpism and MAGAism mm-hmm, at large. Mm-hmm. And that I think. Right. Let's all as a mob go deal with this thing that we're sure is the problem, even if we have no evidence. Exactly. And then when people tell us that we're wrong, we're still going to march ahead through the hospital doors and, and punch police yeah. that are in our way and all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously Jan 6 implications and things like that. And now that you mention it, because I've seen all three of them now, I look back on this trilogy and my initial reaction is like you, I think they're all pretty good. They're all varying degrees of good, but I think kills is the best one. And it could mm. be the best one in large part because I think it has the most topicality to modern times. And it is the most interesting, again, on like a subtextual level. Like it had, on top of all that, I think it's the most violent one, not just of these three. It might be the most violent Halloween. Oh, one. yeah. Um, For so sure. In so many ways, it checks all the boxes. So, um, yeah, it just feels the most complete. I was laughing because, uh, so. Maggie and I did a double feature a couple of nights ago, but I fell asleep halfway through. So that's why I ended up in my 24 hour window. Mm-hmm. Um, but our original plan double feature was to do Halloween and then 2018 back to back, which Maggie did. But I, I dozed off about the mid, I don't blame like, second you. I feel like that would be repetitive. I would get bored too. I, it also consumes some substances at the time, well. but um, um, the, the thing, so what had happened was, the next day, 
because I had said to Max, hey, let, let's do these. We can do some of the old ones. We can do some of the modern ones. There's three new ones I want to watch. It'll be fun. And the next day, she comes to me during breakfast and says, I do not want to watch those modern ones. They are too scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of thought, oh, you know, I only saw the opening act. We hadn't really gotten into the Michael Myers stuff. Like, I wonder if I'm in for something. And then I watched it. And what I had said to her was, you know, from my perspective... 2018 was still just a guy with a knife chasing babysitters. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know what had scared her so much about it. And after we talked about it a little bit, what she kind of came to was it was really just the gore. Like it looked real, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like that when the young man gets speared on the fence and the, and the post goes into his mouth and out of his eye or whatever. Mm She's like, in the 70s, they couldn't make that look real. And that looked real. And I don't want to, I don't want any part of that. If you want to watch like H2O or whatever, let me know. But I'm not trying to mess around with these modern ones. And I, I do think there is a filmmaking, you know, quality to the new ones that really like, it's visceral, mm-hmm. right? Like when, when he stomps a guy's head and it explodes, like you, you feel it, you know, it's an impact that, that I don't know. I, it's. I, I, I will tend to glom to the idea that like any horror movie that is more than 20 years old is probably inherently not scary uh, because like it just the technology becomes out of date mm-hmm. and you kind of can get past it. But that opening of 2018, you know, they talk about, right, there's that whole conversation when the kids are walking to school about like, what's so scary? You just killed a couple guys like by modern standards. That's not that bad. Mm-hmm. And then they they really give you both barrels and remind you that a guy killing people is scary. Yeah. I just, I dig it. It's a good special effects work. Okay, so do you want to, do you want to dive in on? Yeah, I guess we'll just run through the plot ends? quickly. Um, yeah, here, I can do, I can do the plot of ends real quick, because I literally just got out yeah, of sure, here. Go um, so we talked about the accident at the beginning. Yeah, so it opens up uh, one year after the events of Halloween and Kills. Yeah, it's Halloween 2019. There's a young man named Cole. Corey, who is, uh, he's getting ready to go to one of several engineering schools. He's babysitting this kid for the night. This kid's kind of a prick. Uh, he locks Corey in the attic. Corey breaks the door down out of fear that Michael Myers is going to kill him because Michael Myers only kills babysitters and accidentally knocks the kid over the fourth story banister and the kid dies. Uh, he, we assume, has a prolonged uh, you know, litigation ahead of him, and we flash forward four years where he's working at a junkyard for his stepdad. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Laurie Strode's granddaughter uh, is kind of trying to figure out her life because her post-Michael Myers encounters have also been odd, and these two kids kind of find each other in a moment of social outcastness, and everything seems to be going great until a bunch of angry teenagers throw our dear friend Corey off a bridge Mm -hmm. and he gets drug into Michael Myers' subterranean fort. Yeah, Pennywise's little sewer. Yeah, where he becomes a convert to the the church of stabbing people a whole bunch with a butcher's knife. Um, And he does that a couple times. Lori encourages her granddaughter that maybe this guy is trouble. Uh, Eventually the dude kind of breaks and starts doing murders, comes for Lori. Lori handles him handily, mm. uh, if you'll p- pardon me using the same word twice in one sentence, but then 
as you say, almost Palpatine, like in a sort of obligatory finale, Michael shows up to showdown with Lori. And after all these years, she finally gets him. She kind of like crucifies him on her butcher block uh, and kills him, cuts his throat, slashes his arteries, ties him to the roof of her car, drives him to the dump and puts him through a wood chipper. Uh, and I think that's the long and short of it, right? I mean, there's a lot of detail in there. I think it's like a, like car compactor like that. yeah it's from metal yeah i was i thought they were going to turn him into a little uh, wood chipper i think fargo this is not fargo no you're right right this was not the fargo machine i was it's here's the thing though is i was just hoping that it was going to be that thing that like you put a car in and it goes from like three different directions oh, and then you like just get a little cube, cube. Yeah. i want a little michael myers <laughs> cube. um but then the ending is ultimately that the granddaughter, whose name I've forgotten this whole time, kind of gets out of Haddonfield. Uh, yeah, I forgot. And, and Lori, you know, kind of comes to turn, you know, gets past it finally. And then we end on a lingering shot of the mask, which is, I guess, supposed to, you know, make us wonder whether or not a new evil will take the mask, oh. sort of like this young man did. I swear I thought uh, the last shot was her and uh, Will Patton sitting on the porch. No, we go inside the house and it fades out on the mask. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I I doubt there will be anything else in this continuity, right? Like, I, I expect maybe 10, 15 years from now, we'll get just, like, an original Halloween reboot, mm-hmm. but this feels like it was the capper on this story, for sure. I don't think there'll be more. There was not a post-credits. So. No. So there's that. Good. Yeah, they've, um, they've been saying that they wanted this to be the end of it, and... They, they've always said that. Who knows if they mean it? But I was surprised by how... They named it Halloween Ends. So. Well, I was surprised by how much finality there was to it. Like, at the end of the movie, there's nothing left ambiguous. Like, oh, he's out there somewhere, and we'll just have to trust that he'll never come back, or some bullshit like that. Right. Like, he's mega super dead. Yeah. It's it's more than, like, Bond dying at the end of the last one. Like, you, they, they go through the ringer of showing the body actually being... <laughs> Well, there's been guys. there's been so many times, right, that that we've thought he was dead, and then we turn around and he's gone. That we really needed to see him get turned into mulch or whatever. Yeah, and there's no due process. To, this is not right. Guy. No, no, no. Like it's right. Yeah, right. There's that guy. one cop who's like, "This isn't how it's supposed to work," and everyone's like, "Shut up." <laughs> Let me ask you this: Michael Myers, as a metaphor for intellectual property that studios will not let go of. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a real case to be made there because there's just, you know, just let it die, guys. <laughs> Why do we have to keep bringing it back time after time? Yeah, I think the metaphor is valid, but they're going to keep doing it for the same reasons we still get Star Wars movies and Termin- mm-hmm. Terminator movies and Alien movies and all that, right? Because, I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum that people will only respond to something they've already heard of, so. Um, but then we have success stories like Barbarian, and they don't get physical media releases. So, God, that's such a what disappointment. I hope they change their mind on that. I it's who's the studio? Uh, Fox Disney. No, oh, so it's Disney. Yeah, so I probably, think they inherited it. I don't think they produced it themselves. No, I'm sure not. But that's that's a bummer. Just because there is, you know. the The opportunity for high quality studio horror these days is few and far between i feel like a lot of it is coming from indie studios in theaters is doing their best you get a lot of it on streaming but it's rare that you get it in the theater 
Yeah, Shudder is obviously helping that out a little mm-hmm. bit. Blumhouse is injecting their money slash his money into into trying to keep it alive. But yeah, the idea of like the big budget studio horror spectacle is is really going quick. And the fact that so many people responded so positively to Barbarian and it became like a thing that you had to go see. It's, you know, if that's not getting a physical release from Disney, I don't know what will, right? Like that, that seems like it's a, it's a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's concerning. Just a bummer. Um, I don't know if hopefully, so it comes out on HBO Max October 25th. That's a week as of this recording from now. Um, so hopefully get the numbers up and uh, maybe they'll, that'll send a message. Yeah. Did I tell you, here's my, here's my thing I want to do. I want to get. Do you know what a Raspberry Pi is? Mm, like the little baby either. computer? <laughs> no, it's a little it's a little baby Oh, sorry. It's a little baby computer you can get and um you can put all sorts of files on it and among other things it has Bluetooth capability. So mm. what I want to do is I want to get a Raspberry Pi and just put like hundreds of movies onto it. Mm-hmm. And then just have it live in my house as like a Bluetooth thing that I can watch the movies off of anytime mm. and then have a clone of it that like lives in like an e- like a Faraday cage in a safe that just in case I ever lose the first <laughs> one I have a backup because I'm just yeah I mean right. the, as movies become less and less accessible I'm just I'm getting worried about it you know I mean speaking mm. of things that scare me Michael Myers could walk up to me and say HBO Max isn't letting you watch Lord of the Rings anymore and I, that'd be as scary as stabbing me in the dang on chest. Mm, but you have Lord of the Rings. You're fine. You're covered. Well, I do. That's what I'm. I'd be covered there. But that's why. That's why I need to build my metaphorical safe room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gets a bummer. Barbarian should be on Steelbook. Anyway, what did you enjoy or not enjoy about Halloween Ends? Uh, I mean, look, I liked it overall. I like. I said my only real as usual with these slasher movies, there's a lot of contrivances to get certain things to happen. Um, Mm. Characters don't always do the smartest thing. There's a knife in the guy's neck. Why would you pull it out of his neck and stand there holding it like you stabbed him? (laughs) If if for no other reason... continually scream at the screen, keep stabbing him! Why are you not stabbing him? Um, But yeah, I think it it does deliver, like we've talked about already, just the... The conventional thrills plus the little something more meat on the bones that we've become used to with these last three. It just didn't quite do it for me as much as Kills for sure. And I really liked 18 when I first saw it. I've seen it a couple times since then and it hasn't quite hit me the same way it did the first time in theaters. Um, But I would still put it above ends. So I'd probably go Kills, 18, ends. But That's interesting because I think I would go 18, ends, Kills. Hmm. Sounds about right for us. I get what you... Yeah, I <laughs> I think I, at this point, understand... You know, it sounds... It, please expand on this, but it sounds to me like the thing about kills that gets you excited is the mob stuff. Is that right? Yeah, the the mob stuff, the, the stuff about how it's so unconventional in structure, the way that there's no Laurie Michael showdown in that movie. Um, no, it yeah, ends... it's a real Empire Strikes Back of yeah Halloween movies. Well, that and literally like everybody dies. Like you think, oh, they won't kill the girlfriend's the little the granddaughter's boyfriend, right? Like, nope, he dies. 
Uh, yep. Like any old poor old lady or whatever. Like that movie is the brutal one. The guy, the the suicide scene is pretty well done. Uh, the suicide scenes incredible. Yeah. I mean that as a standalone set piece is yeah will live in my brain rent free forever as the kids say. Yeah, that's a hard one. The way that they show the mangled body and all that, but then and the and the 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 opening sequence with the biracial couple. Oh, more than that, the firefighter sequence was incredible. Oh. Yeah. The firefighter sequence got me amped because I was so proud to see a bunch of guys being like, all right, dummy, you want to get out there? You got to get past us for, you know, so yeah. many people see Michael and run away. And these guys are like, we got a bunch of axes. What are you going to do about it? And and they do all get all of their body parts cut off, but they they were ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I did think the the first person camera work from the perspective of the dead firefighter yeah. in that sequence was yeah. Yeah, it's so good. That's a great one. And then I like it, just the ending. It's just, you know, he kills the Judy Greer, and yep. the movie just kind of ends. You get the phone call. and I think yeah. that that is, the, is done the most dirty by the fact that the third movie isn't the same night. Right. Like, I want to see what happens immediately after that. That's what they, you yeah, know, it's kind of they, the end of Desolation of Smaug, and then at the end of it, it would yep. be like the third movie taking place after... Yeah, the, the, after the back Battle of the Shire. Army, you're like, what is going on? Yeah, right. And I, and so that's a bummer, but I understand why it had to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, one of your main characters was a teenager and is now five years older. Like, you have to address that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the idea that they are playing, and I didn't, I didn't mention this in my, in my plot rundown, but I really like the idea that they are playing with in ends. Which is like, they, they almost make it seem like the spirit of Michael Myers can jump bodies. Mm-hmm. But but maybe it's really just that, like, anyone can become evil given the right circumstances. You know, it's, the right it's almost that Batman idea. And that, inclination, that inclination to give in to that instinct. Um, yeah. Which I think we see, the movie kind of underdevelops this a little bit, but we see the... I can't, the granddaughter whose name we both can't remember. Um, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, we see her kind of trying to struggle with that, how she tries to repress certain negative feelings of her own at work or whatever because her, her superior is sleeping with... Allison. The, Allison, like her superior is sleeping with the main yeah, doctor. Yeah, the doctor. So that's why she's yeah. getting promotion and stuff. But then she kind of, like you said, gives into that with the boyfriend until she realizes that, you know... Uh, He's, Lori, he's too far yeah, gone. Yeah, was right the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. But also how we can let evil in without really realizing, because it was Lori that was like, hey, you're not such a bad guy. Let me introduce you to my other fuck-up daughter, and we'll see what happens. Granddaughter. Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing, right? Is like at that point in the movie, and we get this testimony from multiple characters. We get it from the dad of the kid that dies. We get it from Lori. Um, makes me want to feel like, there's a third character who gives it, but there are multiple folks throughout the movie who tell us that this young man isn't actually all that bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, we, you know, we hear multiple times this idea that Corey is, you know, he's just had it rough, but he's, he's due for a second chance. Right. He's, he's a, he's a nice young man who had a hard time. Um, no one's willing to give it to him and he constantly gets bullied and bullied. And at a certain point he snaps, it's, you know, it's uh, Arthur Fleck all over again. And that's, but when he meets, Michael, right? Or when he, maybe we'll say when he meets the shape, because mm. I do have a question I want to get to. Um, 
that's like the permission structure he needs to break bad, right? right. The validation and, someone didn't, someone spared him that brutality because they, I don't know, they show like Michael kind of seeing his thoughts. So I, I don't know. You remember when he starts strangling him? That okay. Yes. What the hell happens in that? Is it that his life flashes before his own eyes? Or is it that, like, Michael can peer into his soul when I, he's killing him? I think it? it's the, the latter. I think Michael can see that this kid has been touched by the same shitty hand that life has dealt him. That's interesting, yeah. because in in 2018, right, our new, our new Loomis, I can't remember what his name is but you know we get that new guy who yeah yeah who stands in for loomis and you know he's trying to figure out like what does michael feel when he's killing why does he do it and if the idea is that there's like a supernatural component to it i just think that makes it very interesting i mean i thought they made the supernatural component pretty clear in kills because how many bullets does he take and how many times is he beaten in the street? Oh, yeah, sure. And he gets up and he keeps ticking. Um, so that's why it, it's, you know, people I think are going to run afoul of getting too technical with the is he a man versus is he a force of nature kind of thing and trying to reconcile the various aspects of that. He is what he is. He's he's defeatable, but not without great cost. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, that bears out. So I'm trying to see if I can find the exact text here, but yeah, here, this, this is it. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to substitute a word here, but you tell me if you can recognize what I'm referring Mm to. Uh, there is no secret. He cannot extract no security. He cannot breach no person. He cannot become, he has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move, sir. Uh, Myers is the living manifestation of oh, destiny, uh, and he has is, made uh, you his mission. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I kept thinking: is like modern Mike Myers is evil Ethan Hunt, right? Like he cannot be stopped, no matter what you do, he will find a way to put his knife penis inside you. Mm-hmm. And 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 so that's like where I am with kills, but then ends like suggests that he is more you know not even like more than superhuman right that he is perhaps in a force onto his own which you know that can infect other people which is they never outright say like the shape jumps from michael to Corey or whatever but it is it is certainly implied at the very least i don't do you feel like do you feel like it is just Corey has broke bad, or do you feel like something has fundamentally changed about who he is as a human being that he now has to kill? Uh, because I think that's the whole... I'll give you a second to think. I think this is the whole interesting question about Michael Myers, right, that is never resolved. You know, it's spoken to, it's suggested, people have fun with it, but I don't think there's ever a clean answer given as to whether or not he is just a guy who is very hard to kill, or... A physical manifestation of evil, as we hear a lot of characters kind of suggest from time to time. The only thing I can think of at the moment is that they were both, Michael and Corey were sort of, they had something in them that was fostered Mm -hmm. by their environment, whether it's their family or the way people treated them. And with Michael's case, we don't really get that backstory. We just have to kind of assume it. Um, 
but once they kill that first time, there's a bloodlust. There's an evil. Something changes. Exactly. That's yeah. when the fundamental change happens. And I think the the father of the kid who dies when he tells Lori about how he saw him, he was driving by and he wanted to talk to him for a second, but then his eyes had changed. Exactly, and I think that does happen after he kills the homeless guy outside. Yeah, yeah, the sewer, uh, which again feels very dairy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that may be what they're where they're going with it as far as you know. You can always come back, but once you take that first life, there is no going back. Of course, the yeah. lesson then seems to be if you've already killed one person, fuck it, just keep going. Um, I, I wanted to talk about that, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Did I ever tell you <laughs> this? I, I don't think he'll mind if I put this on mic because it was just a silly conversation mm-hmm. we had. There was a point in my life where I had decided that I was going to assess the quality of my friendships, which is a normal thing that people with good brains do. And I I wrote to a few folks. I think this is before you and I had reconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you got this text, you'll, you'll know. I wrote to a few folks and I said, hey, how many murders could I commit and ask you to be my alibi before you were like, hey man, I need you to quit this. Mm-hmm. And Fred wrote me back and was like, however many you need. And I was like, seriously, infinite murders? And he goes, I assume if you're going around killing people, you have a good reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very Fred. Yeah, it's a, it's a real Fred answer. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that unhoused man living under the bridge, I wanted to get into him because... I think there is an incredibly interesting sequence that involves him in this movie where Corey goes back under the bridge or is, does he go back under the bridge after surviving or is it when he comes out from Michael's sewer kingdom? He goes back under the bridge to lure that cop guy. But there, but there's, there's an interaction he has with the unhoused gentleman who lives under the bridge. That happens uh, after he comes out of Michael's. When he comes yeah. out. And the guy says, go get me that mask. I'm Michael Myers. And that was very interesting to me. As somebody who was going into this movie, you know, I had I had frame by framed all the trailers. I had done all the Riley stuff, right? And I had gone into this movie anticipating multiple Michaels. And the reason I had done that was... In the trailer, there was a shot of the final showdown in the kitchen between Michael and Lori. Mm-hmm. But Michael had all the fingers on his left hand. Oh, okay. And I think in retrospect, it was just that maybe the visual artists had not yet taken the fingers out. But at the time, I was like, oh, multiple Michaels, question mark? And like... You know, I, I had become so committed to this idea that maybe different shots made me thinking, it left me thinking that there were multiple masks involved or whatever. But but when I heard this guy who had all the fingers on his hand say, I am Michael Myers, go get me my mask. Mm-hmm. I like really locked in on that. And, and then that guy just gets killed and is no longer relevant. I guess, you know, going by the 2018 logic, you know, we do get that bus full of of folks who were being transferred, right? And and this this plays out in kills when we get the Figaro guy with the umbrella, mm-hmm. who who is ultimately the man who kills himself. 
but there, you know, we assume that in Haddonfield, in this universe, there are at the very least a dozen mentally unwell folks just kind of living in homelessness around the town. This guy could just as easily be this person. But the fact that we never really see Michael's face, you know, did kind of leave me wondering whether or not this guy was the actual Michael Myers and the and the guy who had lost all his fingers and was wearing the mask was an imposter. I, I, I did kind of dwell on that for a little while. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you have thoughts yeah, on that. Yeah, it, it happened so quickly. I caught it, but then I just chalked it up to, oh, maybe he's just saying it to make this kid think he's more important than he is, save his life, something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, Which I think is totally valid, right? Like it's, there's, you know. But the thing the, is, I, the, I only brushed it off because the movie didn't do anything with it. Now that you've mentioned this, I think, oh, they could have done something or why even include that if he's just going to be some random homeless guy who dies. That's my question, yeah. right? It's like I would have been into a world where at the end, you know, Lori, I guess she Cory breaks into, is it Cory? I keep Corey, forgetting this Corey, stupid Corey. kid. Cory breaks into this. Cory and Lori. That'll help. Cory breaks into the Strode house and sort of attempts to kill Lori. And she, you know, she very quickly dispatches him basically being like, look, I, I can deal with the real thing. I, I don't need diet, Michael Myers. Um, and Cory kills himself. Which is very convenient for Lori, who has already called 911 reporter to suicide to sort of try and lure the killer out. Mm. So that works nicely. But I, I really could have gotten down with a world in which the person who walks in and puts on the mask is that guy. Right? The the guy who, who claims to be Michael Myers, who, who Corey ultimately kills. Right. right? If that guy comes walking in and puts the mask on, I'm, I'm ready to go for like three more movies. <laughs> So then we're meant to assume that Laurie knows what Michael looks like. I'm assuming because at the end of the original, they do take the mask off when they arrest him. They've probably Mm -hmm. shown his picture on TV over the years. So she would know, like even in Kill, she says, oh, that mental patient, that's not him. She knows that the body that got destroyed at the end of this movie is Michael Myers. She must. I think that is. So, yeah, it's I think just, that it's, is fair. It's vexing then why they would have even left that line in because I just. Yeah, I'm I'm confused by it as well. I felt like it had potential and it kind of just ended up being a weird like wet fart. Yeah, of a... kills ended up having an extended cut. It was like not much, but maybe this one will have one where they they give that a little more context. That'd be interesting. I saw that there was an extended cut on kills. I haven't watched it yet, but I am interested in it. And it's just as far it... as I can tell, it's just more violent. Oh, okay. Fair enough. It's classic Danny McBride. Extended means unrated. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I think I come away from this trilogy of, and and like I said, I do a little bit think of Michael Myers as like a stand-in for like vapid IP capitalism, where it doesn't matter if you have a good idea or not, just make a movie based on a thing we can sell. Um, and, and, And these movies sort of being about the idea of like, the intellectual property that just won't die. Mm-hmm. But like all that being said, I do come away from them feeling like they add to the legacy of the franchise, right? And even Halloween's so complicated, right? You have so many different like timelines. You know, you can you can go down the Halloween one, Halloween two rabbit hole. You can do the H two O thing, right? Or you can do the modern trilogy. And those are all different 
unique Laurie Strode stories that never intersect with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do feel like this is the most, this is the one that adds the most substance to the conversation. And I guess that's what I appreciate ultimately. Yeah. Do you have anything that you would like to see them do next or be interested in seeing like where you'd want it to go from here? I'm pulling up the yeah, timeline so we can think, have a- I mean, maybe in the same way that I kind of want Alien to go 3,000 years in the future and just start mm. a brand new thing that's Alien. Um, mm-hmm. That might be the best thing for this, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just... Maybe it's time to put it to bed. So here's what you can do. Here are the multiple Halloween continuities. So if you want, you can do Halloween, then Halloween 2... Then Halloween four, five, and six. You have to skip three because three is season of the witch, which has nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Michael Myers is not in it. It's uh, Halloween was initially supposed to be for anyone who doesn't know. Halloween was originally supposed to be an anthology series in which it would just be a series of horror movies that all take place on Halloween. Mm-hmm. But the idea of Michael Myers was so popular that it kind of forced the studio hand to do Halloween two. But after that, they were like, well, three can be its own thing. And then Season of the Witch tanked. So all the rest of them has always, have always been Michael Myers movies. So you can do one, two, four, five, and six if you want. Alternatively, you can do one, two, H2O, and then Resurrection if you want. Mm. That's for, for folks judging by years, that's 78, 81, 98, 2002. If you don't want to watch the best Halloween movie, you can just do the Rob Zombie reboot which is Halloween and Halloween 2, uh, Halloween being the 2001? 2002 uh, is when Rob Zombie think, got involved. Is it 2002, really? I might be wrong. When, when, when was Rob doing his bad thing? 7 and 9? Yeah. That's the reboot timeline. It's 2007, 2009. And then... Of course, there's 1978, 2018, 2021, and 2022. Those are all the various Halloween timelines that have nothing to do with each other. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is the best one. I think 78 and then the moderns is, is how I would tell people to do it. Yeah, I would agree. I haven't seen anything other than the original, the Rob Zombie first one, and then the new three. But... Two's fun. Two's yeah, I've good. heard good things about two. I just haven't gotten around. And then I, I want to see three because that's the, the Divergent one, right? Yeah, Season of the Witch. Yeah. Uh, what else are you doing? You got any Halloween stuff going on your end? Just spooky spooky watches? Yeah, I got stuff. God, my whole watch list is so backed up. I have so many things to catch up on. Um, to start going through it slowly. There are so many good horror movies about to hit. Yeah, I really. We I, I, talked about Barbarian. I really want to watch that. There's a couple cool looking ones on Netflix, and uh, I think there's. I can't think of any big releases that are coming for the rest of the year, though. I have spent like the last six months going to the Alamo, getting freaking amped for the menu. It better be good. Oh, is that a horror movie? The one with uh, Ray Fiennes? It's at the very least a suspense thriller. Okay. Yeah, from from what I can tell, having seen now two different trailers, it's like this group of chefs knows way too much about you, mm. <laughs> and like like they wanted to make a meal personalized for you, but 
they didn't necessarily think that that didn't mean printing your bank statements on your pita breads. Hmm. So cre- creepy. If yeah. Uh, what else have I? What other? What other horror stuff have I seen coming down the pipe? Oh, I, I sent you the thing about Luca Guadagnino's new movie. Yeah, that I've been that, hearing a lot about. I'm just. I think they had the uh, Toronto debut. Yeah, it got a Toronto yeah. bump. Yeah, it's funny. I, <laughs> I uh, one night while I was like I was watching something and I was just up and and uh, this is gonna make me sound like a lush for the second time this podcast. I had consumed some substances mm. and. It, it it always makes me laugh now. Every time I see a good movie, I go to try and add it to my letterboxed watch list. And I'm like, oh, it's already on there. Great. Yeah, that's been happening to me. <laughs> I clearly just did a binge of like everything at Toronto and Venice and, and anybody who had gotten any attention. I threw it on mm. there. Hey, let's talk about it, though. Horror movie of the season. Del Toro's Pinocchio? Question mark. When does that drop on Netflix? Next month, I think. Let's see if we can get a date. All right. Because yeah. that looks good. Yeah, I, I, that was. I mean, it was on my radar, but I didn't think it would be chomping at the bit to see it until the reviews came out. Yeah, everybody's like it rules. Uh, oh, it's out. No, hold on. No, that was the premiere at Toronto. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Google always fucks me up because they'll be like premiere date, and then they give you the festival date, and that doesn't count. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Release uh, December. Oh, December. December 9th. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've got. They should let him direct Blade. He did a good job the last time he directed Blade. Let him do another no, Blade. Let him do more interesting stuff. Well, hey, I'm, I'm not opposed to that yeah. at all. I don't, do you have final thoughts? You want to wind us down? Yeah, no, I mean, I thumbs think, up I think from we me. covered everything. Yeah, thumbs up from me. I like the movie. Uh, I like the trilogy as a whole, which so did you. Yeah, uh, the original still the best, but these are good enough. And the original is still the best by far. I mean, in my personal opinion, there is no better scene in any Halloween movie than the opening of Halloween. <laughs> like the reveal that the killer is an eight-year-old mm-hmm. is incredible, <laughs> and and uh, I just I think that that movie is so tight, is so tense, is so well paced. The the antic the teenage antics that in most slasher movies you roll your eyes at, right in Halloween feel so organic, right. I think I think the silliest thing in that movie is when when Laurie's friend tries to go out the window of the laundry room. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and even that you know it doesn't end in her death. It's just kind of a gag, so it's very forgivable, right. Um, when when Michael walks upstairs in the ghost costume, I think that's pretty funny. Like I'm I'm in on that. That's fine. I totally, I, it doesn't lose me for a minute. Um, so yeah, I I, I mean I do. I started off this podcast saying I think that seventy eight's a perfect movie, and so I don't I don't need to reiterate that. But yeah, these. I'm trying to think. What are other franchises? Let's. This is a good place to end. Is there any other franchise that you can think of, who has which has had like a modern kind of refresh that has been done as well as the Halloween movies. I, I think that the obvious one is Ridley Scott coming back to the alien franchise and yeah, kind of doing his dirty thing and convincing us all that it super relates to those other movies we saw. Um, but I, yeah, yeah I mean, similar I bl- uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. I knew you were going to say it, so I didn't take it. Yeah. The, 
Villeneuve's Blade Runner is very good. But yeah, I think those three are probably on a different shelf from most other IP grabs we've seen recently. Yeah, I mean, the other big one is maybe the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Bond Bond is its own species. I don't. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're looking just just in that kind of budget or in that sort of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, level of fame or level of popularity of Halloween. I'm not sure. Yeah, in in video games we call it. In video games we call it triple A. So yeah, what your triple A movies? No, I think I think that's it. Let me ask you this. So we've, we've, this is a good place to plug this at the end of this episode. We started doing the nerd out, right? Mm-hmm. So you were away. Deep, uh, Fred, Jack, and I recorded who would actually win Super Smash Brothers. We, oh, we, landed, we landed on Mewtwo. Mm-hmm. And then last week, Fred and I did just 90 minutes or so on Mass I don't know what it cut down to, but on Mass Effect, mm-hmm. Fred just kind of went... Uh, Jack is next week. He hasn't told me what his topic is, but I thought when we got to yours, we could finally do our No Time to Die, the Batman conversation. Yeah, and I need to rewatch Batman if we're going to do that, so just let me know. I need to rewatch No Time to Die if we're going to do that, so sounds good. All right. Let's make it happen. <laughs> All right. Should we do a little sign off here? Uh, yeah, so that's been us talking about Halloween Ends, the end of Halloween. That's the actual title. Surely there will never be another. No, they won't. In fact, Halloween That's this it. year is canceled. It's done. October 14th. It, it ended. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so next time we'll think of something else to talk about. Uh, until then, let's go Phillies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in.